What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Dimling here with y'all as always. Before we get going, a reminder, you can listen to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also watch on YouTube as well. Connect with us on social media at Lacrosse Bucket on Twitter slash X, Facebook, and Instagram, lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season. We just got done about 15, 20 minutes ago with the best game of 2024 so far, and the best February game I think I can remember in, in quite some time. Syracuse and Maryland in the Dome. Number four, Maryland versus number five, Syracuse. The Terrapins take it 13-12 to 12 in overtime. The first thing we have to talk about here, unfortunately, is this no goal that was called for Syracuse in overtime. So, Michael Leo is going to the cage, dives, scores a goal. Initially, the, 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 the ref that was behind the play said he stepped in the crease. That wasn't true at all, and we saw that on the, on the replay. And apparently uh, that looked like what he said and what you heard on the broadcast. The other ref, I believe it was, called in, in the goal mouth, or both did, or you know, whatever. He was called in the goal mouth, um, and he was. He was in the goal mouth, did land in the goal mouth. Now, I will say this. They, they, they played the game for, like, what, 10 seconds or whatever, Maryland's clearing the ball, and then all of a sudden it, it, the plays stopped and they go to repeat. I don't think that, that's good to stop the game in the middle of a play. Say, now we're going to review it. You should have reviewed it when you met. But whatever. Well, at least they reviewed it um, and saw that they had the right call. Now, it was the right call because there was no physical or illegal contact. Push from behind. Pushing Leo into the cage, in, into the goal mouth. At least that you could see on the replay and the angles that they showed. And... Also, just like in football and basketball as well, if there is a call made, there has to be indisputable evidence to overturn the call. There was not indisputable video evidence to over overturn the call. Now, now, so by letter of the law, by the rules, it was the correct call. As much as Syracuse fans hate to hear that, it was the correct call. Now, this conversation takes another time because then say, well, it should have been a goal. Anyway, and that's true, it should have been. Screw the goal mouth. It's stupid. Um, I haven't been a fan of it since they instituted it. I think it's awful. Dive. You should bring back the dive wholesale. 
just like you have in, in the PLL, like you have in MLL, you have in the NLL, like it, you bring back the dot wholesale. I mean, I remember the first time they brought it back and it was like, well, if there's contact with the goalie, then it's not a goal. And you had goalies that would come out and make contact with the player in the air, and then, oh, it's a no goal. Great strategy for defensive coordinators to take advantage of it. And goalies to take advantage of the rules like that. But then we got the goal mouth. And this thing has been just pathetically um, instituted. You know, I understand the kind of concept and, and, and the NCAA rules committee says, like, well, we don't want, you know, guys to dive into goalies and, and there'll be injuries and all that. I get that. But at the end of the day, look, every time you step on that field, this is a contact sport. This ain't badminton. This ain't tennis. This is lacrosse. All right? This is lacrosse. This is men's lacrosse. Not women's lacrosse. Men's lacrosse. These dudes are out here hitting all the time. You know, when you step on that field, it could be your last. So, you get hurt on a dive, you hurt yourself, or you know, whatever. Whose fault is that? Well, it's yours for stepping on it. Stepping on that field, initially, right? So, really, I get you want to protect the players, you don't want to see anyone get hurt or anything like that. But in the, the day, like, just let them play. Let them freaking play. That's all I'm getting at. Let them play. Let them play. Heck of a goal by Michael Leo. Hate that this game had to end with that kind of ending. Wonderful game. Great game. Is going to be overshadowed by that call. Unfortunately. And not just that call, but the goal mouth ruling and the rule itself overall. I'm also pretty much, I mean, I'm not wholesale for the replay. I don't, I'm not a big fan of that. I think it slows the game down. There's always an amount of human error that comes with officiating, no matter if it's lacrosse or basketball, football, whatever. There's always an amount of human error. Now, like, look, the Penn State thing last year, with the goal in, in, in the crease for Duke. I mean, Garrett Ludman, I'm sorry, buddy. Your, your foot was on the freaking crease, okay? You were in the crease. It was not a goal. Should have been able to be reviewed, but it wasn't. But things like that, absolutely. Review the play. You have the technology. But every single regular season game is, I mean, not everyone has the same capacity. I think Clarky Taylor mentioned it on the broadcast today talking about it, right? Like, you need it in, in the NCAA tournament, in conference championships, and in, in tournaments, fine. But regular season throughout the year, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'll sit here, I'll, I'll wait, see how things play out. I think it's been pretty well instituted so far, the replay aspect, but we'll see how things go uh, from here on out. I do think it was good they were able to review this call, uh, Michael Leo in the goal mouth, whatever. And again, by the letter of the law, it was the correct call. But on the question of should there be a stupid goal mouth, or should you just let guys dive, and if the ball is in before they hit the ground, before they're in the crease, it, it's a goal. I mean, that's what it should be. You can dive, and if the ball 
is in the goal before you hit the ground. It's a goal. That's that's what it should be. Or more uh, well said is you release the ball before you hit the ground. Is what I meant by that. But if it's a shot before you hit the ground, just like on the shot clock, is if it's a shot before the clock goes off and and it goes in, it's a goal. Same thing should be true on the dive. Get rid of the goal mouth. It's a stupid rule. Um, this sport does the utterly most stupidest things I've ever seen in my life. And, and, and I know many people, multiple people who tell me all the time, the problem with lacrosse is that lacrosse cannot get out of lacrosse's way. And this is another situation right here where stupidity just bleeds into this thing. And it is what it is. Something we have to deal with, hopefully, not for much longer, but it is what it is. And Syracuse loses tonight because of it. Now, focusing back on this game here overall, I do want to say Maryland shouldn't have been in that situation. Okay? And I'll repeat what I said again Maryland should not have been in that situation. For this goal to have had happened, for this call to have been made, at least we forget this was a five to two game at the end of the first quarter. Maryland's offense was humming. Maryland's ball movement was superior. Maryland was getting what they wanted on their matchups, not only defensively, which we'll talk about in a second, but offensively as well. I mean, this team, what all the energy was towards Maryland. That first quarter, they silenced the Dome. They silenced the Dome. I don't know how many fans were there. I'm not sure if that's been reported yet. Um, but they, Maryland silenced the Dome. Maryland silenced the Dome in that first quarter. You were up 5-2 to two at the end of the first quarter. You were up five to three early in that quarter, in that second quarter, and you were still up five to was it four at the half? And why was Maryland up five to four at the half? It wasn't because of their defense. Their defense held Syracuse to this is in the first quarter here, or first second quarter held Syracuse scoreless for was twenty plus minutes. Believe it was there. In the first half, Maryland, you had a man up situation, a couple long situations here. Um, come man down, excuse me. couple situations here where you had long possessions defensively, you had long opportunities. Um, and they won those against Syracuse, and Syracuse made mistakes on those. They couldn't win their matchups. They couldn't get their offense going. They hit a dry spell, again, 20-some-odd minutes without a goal. Well, Maryland comes back, and they do the exact same thing. But I want to make this clear. Syracuse's dry spell 
in this game was because of the Maryland defense putting pressure on them, winning their individual matchups, and by nature of that, Syracuse not being able to figure out how or where they could get their offense from. For Maryland, it wasn't so much that Syracuse, and this is a young Syracuse defense, and I thought they played pretty well tonight. This is a defense that's improving from last year. I think they have they've shown a lot, obviously, through the first three games on both sides. Syracuse has beating some teams they should have beaten. Taking care of business. Tonight, I thought Syracuse showed a lot all across the board. The biggest reason for this Maryland drive spell wasn't necessarily this Syracuse close defense. It wasn't necessarily even Will Mark, who ends the day with nine saves and I thought played fantastic in this game, as did Logan McNaney for, uh, for Maryland, 14 saves for him on the day. Both these goalies outstanding. Both these goalies deserve standing ovations for their performances in this game. Absolutely fantastic. But Maryland's offense, if you go and you look at the stats for this game, okay, shots. Syracuse took 48 shots. Maryland took 29. I mean, you almost doubled, they almost doubled them up, you know, one under doubling them up on shots. Took 19 more shots than Syracuse, or 19 less shots than Syracuse did Maryland. This offense, I mean, we talked about it last week as well as the week before. It was like they have so many guys and different guys who can step up on any given day. And, and, and you look today, you know, Oska would seem to be that guy along with Jack Corus, right? Oska had four goals, one assist there. Corus had three goals, one assist. You had uh, Daniel Maltz with, with two goals on the day. He, like, you, you have guys that contributed, but they get in these situations for like 20, 15 minutes or whatever where like half a quarter, where they're just kind of standing around and, and moving the ball, and they'll commit just silly turnovers, or they, they, they will try to take a silly shot or try to do do something that gets them stuck, and, and they have to pull back out, get a shot clock violation or whatever. They they, they don't have enough you know, oomph in them to, to just, hey, let's take it to the rack. Let's get this, let's take the rack. And when they're humming, when that ball movement is going, this offense is really good. And we saw that. They got a 5-2 early in this game in the first quarter. A lot based off that ball movement. When they don't have that, they're nothing. Really. And you know they were able to get some one-on-one matchups that they favored, that they liked, winning those matchups, and that helps them here, right? They were able to take, care, take advantage of some Syracuse breakdowns defensively. Um, now, oftentimes, when they were able to get shots off, when they didn't get a shot off, and when they didn't take, you know, and by the way, it takes them, what, 12, 15 minutes to get a shot off, right? I mean, they play so slow at certain times in this game, and throughout this game, this Maryland offense does. Um, it, it, it's like their opening possessions, and their opening possessions are always, I think you can tell, I don't know if this is 100% true, but like scripted to a point, you know, you get playing college football, first drive is usually scripted, right? Um, 
Maryland first throw possessions, maybe scripted or whatever. Once they get in the game, it's like they, they, they kind of freak out for a second. Okay, what do we do? How do we, who do we want to go to here? Where do we want to initiate from? And again, they've got a ton of guys that can get it done. We saw that tonight. This offense has got to figure it out and has got to figure out how they can be more effective for longer periods of time and, and avoid these dry spells because um, I mean, they very well could have lost tonight. And as we mentioned, probably should have lost tonight uh, with, with that offensive performance. Now, their defensive performance was freaking amazing. Uh, Ajax Zapatello, um, tell me, so I said this, I've thought this all last year, um, and uh, well, at least in the preseason this year, and then coming into this game, I said Ajax Zapatello is the best defenseman in college plus. You cannot convince me otherwise after tonight. The effort he put in on Joey Spillina was fantastic. Spillina, one goal, two assists. Not one goal. I mean, they were sending they were sending picks to Spillina to get Zapatello off him. They tried and tried and tried. They did it one time and were successful. One time and were successful. Spillina was able to uh, get a couple assists there. Be useful in that way as a distributor, but he took Spillina out of this game as a shooter, as a scorer, um, and, and as a dodger in this game, this entire contest. So props to Zapatello for that. I want to see this matchup again. These two teams, really interesting, really fun to watch, and that matchup right there is, is the best of the best. Now, um, Maryland's up five to four at half. And this thing starts to come unraveled. And again, we mentioned the dry spell for them. But also, I mentioned how well this Maryland defense played. And they did play well for most of this game. That third quarter, though, I thought Syracuse, we mentioned the Spolina. And they were trying to go to Spolina, trying to go to Spolina. Couldn't get him free from Zapatello all, all but one time, right? They, able, they were able to do so that one time in the third quarter. That third quarter goal from Spolina was preceded by a Luke Rubber goal and um, followed by a uh, Sam English goal. I should say Christian Mule. Uh, Sam English goal. Ridiculous goal that he had there to put Syracuse up 7-6 to six in this game. And, you know, at that point, and you look at this, Nick Alviti misses that check. He misses that check there, um, overcommits. English gets gets by him and gets that nice goal there. Missed Q on that end. And that end, I thought, is really when that goal, when they, that little run, it kind of felt like Syracuse had most of the energy most of the night because of that home crowd and everything. But I thought that moment right there really is when things kind of clicked and things went Syracuse's way. And from that point forward, Syracuse was able to, it, it was back and forth, back and forth, pretty even keel uh, the rest of the way. Like you, and again, you were seeing Zapatello and, and these defenders be physical, and this was a physical game all throughout. Um, you were seeing Maryland win defensively, and McNaney and, and, and even on the other end, Mark, like they were making saves ridiculously 
in this game. Um, and it did feel like a heavyweight boxing match for, for the time here. I'll, I'll tell you the, 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 the point here that I think for me, I still think Maryland is the better team, even with this offense that I is very difficult to watch, is Syracuse gets it 11-9. to Syracuse gets it 11-9 in this one. And it's an 11-9 game with 10-21 left. That's the, was it the third, um, third Luke Lower goal or fourth Luke Lower goal, I believe it was for him. Yeah, his fourth one. You had this stretch where it seemed like, and, and then you know, that is, that goal was preceded or was followed by a Jack Forrest goal, puts Maryland back within 10 to 11. Um, and then you had this stretch kind of in between goals here. So from I think it was like 10, whatever point it was that Corliss had that goal to, you know, six or seven something when you had Daniel Maltz break free and, and, and get a goal there uh, on the man up off a of Corliss feed. That point makes it 11 to 11. And with 7.20 left in, in the fourth quarter, Spanos with 3.54 left in the fourth puts Maryland up 12 to 11. That point right there, for Maryland to be able to answer like that, after it felt like a lot, like it felt everything was going Syracuse's way. Everything was their way. This team was, it felt like Maryland was on their way out. Syracuse was going to get this win, going to get the statement win. Spanos turns on the Jets, gets this goal here, and with 3.55 left, puts them up 12-11. to 11. Now, Syracuse, I will say, and give a lot of credit, I mentioned the Syracuse defense, how much they've improved. Credit to John O'Donnell, the defensive coordinator there, former Manhattan head coach. Fantastic job, I thought. Two, what was it? Two minutes left in the game. You had Syracuse. I can't remember if it was a man. Let me see if I can find this here real quick in this this box score real quick here. It was with about two minutes left in this game. Yeah. 151 left here. Um, so you had Finn Thompson had a shot on that previous Syracuse possession that went wide. And it was one of the better looks it, that they had had in a while and, 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 and one they could have used to kind of stop this Maryland run. And Syracuse, you know, I wasn't sure. I mentioned Maryland being able to get back into this one. I wasn't sure if Syracuse at that point was able to get back in this. And especially so if they were not getting the ball like, like they had been. This defense stepped up and surprised me in that one. Getting that stop with it was like two minutes left in the game and forcing that stop. And off that possession is what gets you the Christian Mule overtime forcing goal. Um, again, the ending of this game, horrible. The um, call there 
the controversy around it and around that rule. I think it overshadows what was a great game. The final, you know, three quarters of this game, head-to-head or nothing. Final two quarters of this game, final half of this game, really showcased, even the first half, I thought, even it was, you know, 5-2, I thought this is a heavyweight boxing match. This is a highlight game. This is a headlining game in February. It really felt like that late in this one as these two teams went back and forth, back and forth, tug of war here with each other. Um, one thing I was impressed with both teams here, or D middies, I thought impressed me. I wasn't sure coming in, and you know, Maryland has some injuries there, how many, how well those guys would run. They impressed me there, ran pretty well on both sides. Uh, the faceoff dot was basically 50 50. Again, both goalies played fantastic. These offenses had dry spells for, I would say, different reasons. And that's probably the biggest question mark for me coming out of this game with both these teams is, A, can Maryland figure things out on that end? Can they get things going? And then, B, is Syracuse, was was them being able to get stopped those times they did today and take Joey Spolina out of it? And, again, they found ways to get other guys opportunities, and that is very impressive and shows their depth and showcases their depth. And a lot of young guys stepping up and getting uh, opportunities here today for them. That's a good thing for Syracuse. Um, But can they do that constantly over and over again against some of these other better teams here? Can they do that against Notre Dame? Can they do that against Virginia? Can they do that against Duke? That is still the question. These are two two, two top five teams. Without a doubt, they played like it tonight for the majority of this game. This game was an absolute blockbuster, and it delivered. Thank you for putting this at 6 o'clock at night and not at 1 p.m. or noon when everybody else was playing. This is what lacrosse needs. This is how Saturdays should be in the spring during a college lacrosse season every single weekend these two teams showed exactly why that is the case all right folks uh we'll switch here to another game here that well a couple other games here first let's go a little pen georgetown here so uh georgetown wins 12 to 9 in this one and they won because of how they started not because of how they finished. So, hot start here for Georgetown in this one. They got up 5 to nothing early on in this game and really able to beat this Penn defense with a lot of kind of two-man game stuff on the wings, high wings. Uh, and from initiating from behind the cage, really looked a lot better than they had the past couple of weeks. You could see clearly Georgetown has had a couple games under their belt. Penn had not. Um, Georgetown shot pretty well on the day, had 40 shots, put 23 of them on cage. Uh, so, you know, a pretty good day shooting for them here, um, and, and, and I will say the, the the player that I think impressed me the most in this game for Georgetown 
was uh, my guy out of Alabama, Anderson Moore. Fantastic day for him. 12 saves on the day, and he made some absolute um, insane ones down the stretch here. Uh, Penn, so if you look at this game, Penn actually won the second half 5-4. to four. Penn won the second half 5-4. to four. They started getting things going in that second quarter, went on a four-goal, uh, got four goals in that quarter, and made it. It was an 8-4 to four game at the half, and, and you felt Penn kind of creeping in there. They settled in. Their defense settled in, um, and they just couldn't ever get back over the hump, though. They, they could never get back um, over the hump. I felt like the only player for Penn that played well the entire game for an entire 60 minutes was goalie Emmett Carroll. He had 11 saves in this one. Again, I thought he was the only guy for Penn that played a consistent, great game throughout. He was ready from the start. These other guys came out a little cold. Their defense wasn't able to stop Bundy and Haley and, and, and Carroll, uh, that, that attack line, and then you had Jordan Ray with two as well. I thought that probably was the biggest thing for Georgetown coming out of this game was like they did keep Graham Bundy going. They hadn't in recent weeks four goals to assist for him. They need him going each and every week if they want to win these games, if they want to get back to where they want to be, and if they want to show that, look, we're not done. Just because we lost all that talent does not mean that we're done. Again, I've said time and time again, I don't believe Georgetown is done. Have they had a bad start? Yes. Are they improving? Yes, and they showed that exactly today with this win. Uh, again, 12-9 to over Penn. Uh, for Penn, look, I, I'm going to say this right here. Tyron Walsh, Luke Danola, Leo Hoffman, James Shipley, Ben Smith, Robert Shane, a lot of guys offensively that can get things done. Um, I want to see more. The, the biggest takeaway for me out of this one is, A, once again, I'm not sure if you should ever try to figure out Penn's offense because you're going to drive yourself crazy doing it because um, they evolve so much throughout the year. Um, and, and they, 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 I feel like they're the team that improves mostly every year to an extent from February to May, if that makes any sense, especially so offensively. You know, without Sam Hanley, you know, with, with him gone, him having graduated, you do have that big missing piece there. I don't think they've got a guy that replaces him. They, 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 really, they really don't. Um, Leo Hoffman played well in his uh, first outing. He had two shots and two goals. It's pretty good. I thought he could have had a couple more shots. And that that's probably the biggest takeaway for me for Penn in this game. Well, two takeaways from Penn in this game. One, they've got to figure out the faceoff dot because... James Ball went 17 of 23 on the day, wiped the floor, and gave Georgetown a big advantage in that regard. Uh, but also, they've got to get uh, more confidence offensively with just going at it and, and taking some of these shots. They had opportunities, and they didn't take them. Um, and that especially concerns Leo Hoffman, uh, who, again, freshman playing in his first game. He's a little timid in the first half. He really was a non, he was a non-factor. Like, I, like, I didn't... I was looking for him on the field and being like, where's Leo Hoffman? Like, there he is, number 50. What's he doing? And it's nothing in, in the first half. Now, he got things going 
uh, late in this game, and, and Penn did, Penn did what Penn does. They, 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 they played well late. Uh, three goal run, cut it to eleven to nine with ten forty three left in this game, but unable to get anything else uh, in that uh, down stretch. There again, a, a couple Anderson Moore saves. Um, he had five in that fourth quarter alone. Really helped to keep Georgetown in this one and helped to keep uh, Penn from getting any more momentum than they had. Um, I know, again, Georgetown, a team that is improving, Penn, a team that is coming in their first game and they've got a lot of pieces to replace or some question marks to replace. I do think the biggest difference between Penn, and I mentioned being more kind of assertive offensively, that also includes the transition game. Because we know what Penn had in a guy like B.J. Farrar and Piper Bond who could take it offensively and could make things happen. I'm not sure. I'm not going to say they don't have that guy this year because it's just one game. But it felt like for a, a good portion of this game that was missing and that like they, they could have pushed more, but they didn't. Um, so, again, we'll see how these two teams play here in uh, the coming Weeks both have uh, a number of uh, statement games coming up here. You've got Georgetown at Notre Dame and then versus Brown the next two weeks. Penn has got Albany uh, on, on Tuesday. They've got Delaware next Saturday. And then you're at Duke and at North Carolina on, uh, Friday, on Friday, March 1st, and Sunday, March 3rd. That might be a big weekend when we uh, really learn a lot about this Penn team as they continue to get into game form here in 2024. Now we've been going for about 30 some odd minutes here. Let's continue pushing it here with uh, Virginia and, and Richmond. 14 to 10, Virginia gets the win. Um, this is a game that really the, like, so... Virginia's offense, you had a lot of transition offense in this game. Virginia showed, I think, in this one, again, kind of why they're so dangerous. Whereas, like, every little mistake that Richmond would make, Virginia would capitalize on it, you know, two times over, right? Um, Peyton Cormier had a hat trick in this one. He's now the all-time leading goal scorer at Virginia. Connor Schoenberger, two goals, five assists in this one. McCabe Millen had two and two. Jack Bowden goes two and two. Ryan Palsy had two and one. Griffin Schutz had an assist. Joey Terenzi, the defensive midfielder, had uh, two goals as well. Uh, Will Corey also had a goal and an assist. So a, a lot of guys getting uh, the, the opportunity here today for for the Virginia offense. The faceoff dot was a pretty good battle. You know, Gobriel gets the the win, 15 for 24. But I thought Shinoy also played very well there for Richmond, gave him a good battle there. Um, I mentioned on 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 Thursday show the biggest thing for me was like this Richmond attack versus the Virginia defense and how that kind of played out. Um, Dalton Young kind of got what he wanted, three goals, two assists on the day here. Aiden O'Neill, who I, I believe was on um was on Castro most of the game, held the one goal, one assist on six shots. Um, Luke Graham had one goal, one assist. 
not as a productive day as I, as you would have liked to see from this Richmond attack unit. Um, but I'll tell you someone who was productive for Richmond on the day, and that was Zach Bigley. So Connor Knight got the start in game one against Maryland and played the whole game. Zach Vigu got the start last week and played the first half. Connor Knight played the second half. Zach Vigu gets the start today against Virginia and plays the entire game. It played very well. Extremely well, actually. Um, some stats here for you. Well, paper pop. Zach Vigu had 17 saves for 54 save percentage on the day. Virginia had 47 shots on cage. Excuse me, 47 shots overall. 31 of those were on cage. 65% on cage shooting percentage. Imagine if Zach Vigue does not have the day he has for Virginia. This is not a 14 to 10 win, fellas. This is a something closer to what we saw last year. What a game for him in, in Cajun, helping to keep Richmond in this one. Um, Virginia broke loose late. You could kind of, like, there was multiple times in this game when you thought Virginia's going to break loose, Virginia's going to break loose. And they just couldn't because Big U was, was there. And also with Shinoi being able to counter at times at the dot. But... They finally did break loose from 4-8 in the third through the end of the game. They went on was it a five to one run there that put this one away. I mean, look, Richmond got out to a really good start once again. They were up to uh, two zero with nine twenty nine in this game. Virginia didn't start very well, um, but hey, they you know the, the middle of this game. I mean, they got up six to three at one point. And really, at that point, I thought, okay, they're about to run away with it. And they didn't, right? They, they didn't. Um, Richmond was able to counter. Richmond was able to get some things going that you didn't think they would. Another great game for Richmond. I mean, this is clearly a top-20 team. Uh, but Virginia, a top-3 team. And, and they finished the way they should have in this one. And they get this one here. Um, another thing with Richmond in this one. So... Virginia, the, and I mentioned the middle of the field, the transition, I think is really where Virginia won this game. Um, Virginia forced six field clues. They, um, Richmond had 19 turnovers as well, which is never good, and four of those, only four of those were caused. So uh, a lot of unforced errors you know, all around there for Richmond in this game and some forced errors as well. Uh, but, but Virginia, I think, winning this kind of in the middle of the field and, and having their offense kind of overpower uh, this Richmond defense is, is what led to this one here. But again, a great day from Zach Vigue. Uh, Matthew Nunes also had a great day in cage as well. Thought, but really good goalie battle there for uh, in, in, in that one there in Richmond as the Cavaliers take down the Spiders 14-10. to Virginia has got another one up against Ohio State. Next Sunday, uh, we'll see where Ohio State is ranked this week, but could be another top 20 matchup there for the Cavaliers. The Battle of Charles Street was more or less a rock fight this year. So, 
13 to 7. Johns Hopkins wins this one. Johns Hopkins pulls away late. Um, they outscored Loyola 6 to 2 in the final quarter of play. Again, pull away late, get the offense going. Uh, you got a great productive day from Jacob and Jealous. Three goals, four assists. Um, and does it kind of quietly if you, if you watch this game. Uh, Dylan Bauer had two goals, one assist. Garrett Degnan had a hat trick as well as three cause turnovers as this Hopkins ride was relentless. Uh, they held Loyola to 19 for 26. That's 73% on the ride. That is where this game was won for Hopkins. Holding Loyola on the ride there. Um, again, you had Degnan, three goals, three cross turnovers. Angelus, four goals, three assists for seven points on the day. Um, this game was a sloppy February contest, is what it looked like for a good chunk of this game. 34 combined turnovers. Um, and again, Hopkins runs away, 6-2 in the final period of play. I do, you know, a good win for Hopkins. They, they tough it out in, in, in a win that was a lot uglier than it should have been. Um, I do, for Loyola, want to say this. Um, what are you doing? Seriously. Um, I've I've got some questions here. So, so Tyler Dunn played most of the day for for Hopkins at the faceoff dot. He went eleven for seventeen. Eric Pacheco went eleven for twenty four. That's just under fifty um, percent for Loyola. They've been under fifty percent, but been kind of worse than that. Was surprised with how Loyola played at the dot. Um, again. The turnovers, they had 25 were caused. Five caused turnovers, 20 turnovers on the day overall. Um, Hopkins had 14 turnovers, but 12 of those were, uh, they caused 12 turnovers. Right? Got that backwards. Loyola had 20 turnovers. 12 were caused. Hopkins had 14 turnovers. Five were caused. Excuse me. Wrote that down backwards on you here. Um, the riding or the clearing with Loyola was an issue. Them getting kind of overpowered at times by this Hopkins defense was an issue. They now, for the second week in a row, have single digits. They put up 18 against Georgetown. Loyola is not a top 20 team. I think we can tell that from this game. And I don't know if you want to mark that first game up to a fluke or not. You be my guest to do whatever you want there. But, um, yeah, I mean, a, a game that Loyola, you know, honestly, I mean, could have won. And, and neither of these teams looked fantastic. Again, it was a, a, an ugly February rock fight for the majority of this game. Uh, Adam Poitras, two goals to assist for Loyola. Matthew Minikis, two goals and one assist. I mean, again, um, and oh, oh yeah, what, what I was going to say. Loyola, this is another game for them where they, 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 they have the offensive production they have, but also Luke Stout 
is what is keeping him in the game. Um, he was. Uh, Luke Stout had 17 saves in this one. Fantastic day for him. Um, he kept it in it as long as he could. I mean, this was a 3-3 three three game at half. 3-3. Three three. I mean, this was like a... This felt like a mid-2000s battle or something. I mean, this was a, you know, stall-era Maryland game. I, I I don't know what you want to say. This was this was a an ugly rock fight, and, and Hopkins comes out on the end of it, able to find things late, able to eventually kind of overcome and, and be the better team that they are in this one and get the win uh, there. A game where they didn't have to fight it out was uh, Army. Army takes down Rutgers, and I've not watched this one, so I need to go back and watch this one. Um, well, I didn't watch this one in its entirety. I watched the first couple minutes, and um, uh, 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 most of the first couple minutes, and then saw it was 3-3 at uh, what it was, 5-3 in the first, tuned in for a little bit there, and then I see Army goal, Army goal, Army goal. It's 9-3, and I, I flipped back and watched Hopkins, Loyola, and Virginia Richmond uh, kind of simultaneously flipping back and forth between those two for the rest of uh, the afternoon. Um, a big game here for Evan Plunkett, the Georgia boy, four goals, two assists, six points on the day. Jacob Morin, three goals, one assist. Jackson Eichler, three goals. Um, the faceoff dot was a battle we thought was going to be pretty interesting, and it was. Um, at least to an extent, uh, you had Will Coletti win it 17-25, to 25, so he pretty good day for him. 10 of 21 there for Cole Brams. 0 for 4 for Matt Sutar, and uh, Brock Desmaris uh, goes 0 for 2 at the dots. The backup there for Rutgers not doing a good day there. Uh, Shane Knobloch and Colin Cordova, the freshman, had, uh, both had hat tricks in this game for uh, Rutgers. This Army defense, I mean, first of all, this Army offense really took advantage when they could. Army outshot Rutgers 41 to 29 in this game. Um, Army's defense took advantage where they could win their matchups in, in, in this one, from what I could tell, from what I looked at this game, and from what I've gathered here. Um, a surprising result to me. I thought this would be a lot closer of a game. Um, Army is, you know, Army's started good. Um, they have not beaten, or they had not beaten Rutgers in a couple of years. I know we've mentioned that on Thursday's game. They got the win here. Um, so, again, I'm going to have to go back and watch this one in its entirety. But from, from what I saw and, uh, and from what the final score in the box score shows, an impressive day for Army, both offensively and defensively. Um, I am interested in how these goalies played. Uh, Carter Stoller had 10 saves on the day for for Rutgers. He only played 40 minutes of this game. They put Seamus Fagan in for the for 20 minutes of this one. Matt Chess, eight saves in this one, and, and, and he you know, was pulled late in this game for, for Sean Byrne, the final four or, or, or whatever minutes of the final part of this game. Um, AJ Pilot, three cost turnovers in this one. John Sullivan, two cost turnovers. 
um, you look at Rutgers and, and you've only got really two guys that are producing at a high level. Ross Scott held to just two assists on this one, so a great day defensively on him for Army. Again, going to have to go back and watch this one in its entirety, and we'll definitely report back on Tuesday with some of my thoughts there, but good win for Army is, is, is all I can say there, and certainly you know, cementing themselves as showing, like, hey, we are a top-10 team, um, and does Rutgers is a team that I was borderline, hey, if they win this one, they'll be my top-10 on, on Monday. Not so much now. So, Another game that involved a team that I thought for a time could see some movement in some in my top ten or in some rankings there was Yale Villanova. So Yale beats Villanova thirteen to eleven, and they have to fight for this one. They have to fight for this one. First and foremost, I want to say Villanova after last week against Penn State looked a lot better, a, a, a lot better. Matt Lakata four goals for them. On the day, Luke Raymond had two goals and one assist. Uh, Colin Michener had another good day with two. A um, lot better-looking Villanova team today on uh, Saturday against Yale. Steven uh, Zubacek, I thought, played phenomenal defensively. Two cross turnovers, four ground balls for him. He was all over the place. So uh, a great day for, for, for Villanova in a loss where they saw improvement from a week ago. Uh, Anthony Wilson was fantastic in this one. 14 saves really helped to stifle in that third quarter, in that second half when they were coming back in. It really made some big saves, especially at that point there for Villanova. Uh, 14 saves on the day. But I mentioned coming in, I can't remember if it was Tuesday or Thursday when we previewed this game, coming in to know offense and to look at offense in this game because that's probably what you're going to see. From one side or the other, you're going to see offense. And we saw it from both um, as we, we did a year ago. 24 combined goals in this one from these two teams. Yale wins 13-11. to And Yale wins despite not having Leo Johnson. And Chris Lyons in the lineup, as well as you know, Brad Sharp, who's out for the year with the ACL injury. Lyons and Johnson have been kind of in and out in scrimmages. Um, I can't remember exactly which weeks they didn't play, but I know they at least both missed at least one scrimmage this uh, preseason with injuries. Neither of them play today. David Anderson um, gets his first career start for... Yale, Carson Poole also starts for Yale. They're an attack. Um, and my biggest takeaway from this one is, and, and yes, it did six, take some time, and you did see some inexperience there and some kind of um, some ruffled edges there from Yale as they were trying to adjust without Johnson and without Lyons uh, there in the lineup. But I think overall, like this is a pretty good day for Yale's offense without having those guys there, and they have to be pretty happy with how they played overall, despite Johnson and Lyons not being in the lineup. It still looks pretty good. Uh, two goals, four assists for six points for Matt Brandout. 
obviously he's the leader. He's going to lead the way. He and especially without those two guys, and, and he was a superstar that they needed him to be tonight. Three goals there for David Anderson and for Carson Cool. Uh, super productive day for that attack unit without those two guys. Now, can they do that against some of these other teams they're going to play? That's to be seen. We don't know exactly the length of Johnson or Lions injuries. Um, could be long, could be short. Like We'll see how this develops. But Yale right now looks pretty good even without those two guys in the lineup. And I mean, those two guys combined for over 100 points last season. I think 102 goals, if I'm not mistaken. A really, really fantastic year from that Yale offense. And that Yale attack was a big part of it. And those two being two of the leaders there, along with Matt Brandau of this Yale offense, missing them very much so, but still getting it done. Uh, Johnny Kibe, two goals as well. Patrick Hackler, Matt Krefsky, each with one. Uh, Machado Rodriguez with one as well. Um, he did pretty well at the faceoff dot there uh, against Coppola, uh, better than I thought he would. So. Uh, not a day where, where, where Coppola didn't, wasn't necessarily thinking he was going to wipe the floor, but did play pretty well there for Villanova. Uh, but but Machado Rodriguez, I, I thought, matched him uh, as well as he could and actually won that battle 14-26 uh, to 26, uh, on the day there at the dot. Yale, biggest question for me um, is, is still defense. Um, you know, Yale, the clearing game here was a typical kind of February clearing game. Clearing game. Uh, you saw some mistakes made from both teams here. Um, you know, as I, as I just said, defense is, is the biggest thing for me, still a question mark for Yale. I thought you saw improvement for sure. And individually, you know, Pazino, uh, Patrick Pazino played fantastic. Five ground balls, four, four cost turnovers. Um, I thought he played well. Jack Stusen played well. Uh, three ground balls, three cost turnovers for him. Paul Kett, again, at times you see and he makes saves and you say, wow, Andy Shea has to be thankful for him because if he's not there, that's probably going in. Nine saves on the day for him. So uh, c continuing kind of that theme there with, and, and again, this is game one. A lot of room for improvement for a lot of these teams across the board, but just another thing to look at there with, with, with Yale. Once again, can this defense truly improve? And I, I do think we saw some improvement tonight uh, in the opener against Villanova. And obviously, they get the win there, 13-11. to 11. And most importantly, the biggest takeaway from here is getting it done without those guys, two of your top scorers uh, from a year ago in the lineup there uh, offensively for you. And putting up 13, 13 goals without those guys uh, in the lineup and, and being able to push through and win a game the way they were able to close and cool with the final two goals to ice this one late. Yale 13 and Villanova 11. All right, folks, that is it for today's episode. As always, you can listen to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also watch on YouTube as well. You can connect with us on 
Twitter slash X, Facebook, and Instagram at lacrossebucket, lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, the start of your week. Uh, we will be back on Tuesday to talk about Notre Dame Marquette, as well as more in-depth with Rutgers and Army, as well as uh, some other games that we didn't get to get to on today's episode, Denver, Utah, and some others. We'll cover those on Tuesday and begin to preview what will we'll show you up to be. It could be a pretty exciting week three on the horizon.